Well, welcome everybody. Glad to have you guys here with us at New Life Church. How many of you guys are excited to be at New Life Church today? Come on. Nice. Very nice. I like it. I like it. Well, welcome. You are, you are with me right now uh, at two different campuses. You're either with us at our Carney campus or you're at our North Platte campus. So we're one church, multiple locations. I want to welcome you. My name's Jeff. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and it is a privilege, a privilege to be here. You're here actually for the last Sunday in our current teaching series that we've entitled, I Am Resilient. Now, no worries, right? So if this is your first week with us, then don't worry about it because we actually have all of the rest of the sermons already recorded online. Go to mindyourlifechurch.com. You can watch those because we've had some incredible testimonies. How many guys have just loved the testimonies that we've, that we've heard during this series, right? <clears throat> They've encouraged you, right? And you've, been, you've been encouraged by those? Yeah. So have I. In fact, someone was talking to me the other day about how encouraging the testimonies were. And I said, well, duh. I mean, the Bible actually says that one of the ways that we are overcomers is by the word of our testimony. And they're like, yeah, because I get way more out of the testimony, Pastor, than I get out of the sermon. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, well, well, praise God, you know, like praise God. Praise God. So, uh, no, yeah, the testimonies have just been powerful, powerful, and uh, it's been really exciting. Hey, so we're going to be, we've been tackling these different topics. We're going to tackle another one today. We're tackling resilient courage, resilient courage. So I don't know where your mind goes when I say the word courage, but in my era, when I grew up, you know, I just can't get away from when I hear the word courage, I instantly go to Wizard of Oz, right? Wizard of Oz and the Cowardly. Oh, you guys go there too? Man, that is so cool. That's so cool. We all went there together. Wow, it's like a little journey we went on for free. Um, so that's cool, yeah. I mean, do you remember like some of his, remember some of his lines, right? If I were the king, forest. Right, I would. Right. Okay, that's too far. All right, come on. We're at church, for goodness sake. Well, of course, you remember those, right? The cowardly lion. Here, here is this lion that is so afraid that when you first meet him in the movie, right, in the play, the first time you meet this guy, he is chasing Dorothy, right? He's chasing the little dog named Toto. Okay, good. We're all on the same page together. All right. And uh, then, then, you know, like Dorothy like, gets in his face, gives him a little slap on the face, you know, like only Dorothy could, and uh, pretty much like brings him to a full stop. And here he is, and he's like, you know, I'm so tired. I'm so scared of everything. Look at the, look at the like circles even underneath my eyes. And then one of them says, well, have you considered counting sheep? And he's like, no, I'm even afraid of sheep. So you got this like, you got this character who is completely scared of everything, his own image included, but he is supposed to be the king of the forest. He's supposed to be the king of the forest, but he looks at his life and all he can see is the inadequacies. That's all he can see. He, all he can see is the fact that he's not living up to that. Little, a little mouse scares him. He's scared of his own image. He's, he can't sleep, so he's scared of sheep, counting sheep. I mean, I mean, he's just inadequate left and right. But, you know, the real issue with him is he doesn't understand what the word courage is. He doesn't understand that courage is that, you know, standing up to something, standing strong in the face of fear, standing strong in the face of challenge. And what's so interesting, when you watch the movie and you see the cowardly lion, 
Watch for how many times he actually will stand up and show courage, but he doesn't even realize that he's showing courage. And many Christians today, guys, are like the cowardly lion, unfortunately. We live more in our fear than we, than we live in the victory that Jesus paid for on the cross, his death, and his resurrection. We look more at our failures than we look at the grace of Jesus through the cross, his death, and his resurrection, and we let our past failures, you know, indicate to us who we will currently be and how we will live. And therefore, we let our failures scream to us about our inadequacies. We're just like the cowardly lion in so many ways. And listen, I got news for you. It's a lot easier to be, you know, a spiritual coward than it is to live with resilient courage. It's a lot easier to do that. People do it all the time because they're afraid of failure, right? They're afraid of embarrassment. They're afraid of other people's opinions of their life. And so, so many of us, we live with this spiritual cowardness, then rising up with the resilient courage that God wants to instill into our lives. And it's caused me to wonder, like, what would a church, like New Life Church, what would New Life Church look like if it was full of believers that were living with this resilient courage in their life? What would it look like? What would a church look like that finally decided, I'm going to move past the inadequacies of my failures, I'm going to move past what I don't have, and I'm going to start trusting what I do have, the power of God's Spirit at work in my life. What would that kind of church, New Life Church, what would it look like? Wouldn't it look like a church that's radically seeing transformation in in its community? Wouldn't it look like a church that has to hold service after service after service because people want to walk in the doors to hear the good news of Jesus and worship Him right alongside other friends and coworkers? Wouldn't it look like a church where the lost are actually finding Jesus? Wouldn't it look like a church that's completely unstoppable, right, in its mission? You know, like to give glory and honor and praise to Jesus? Wouldn't it look like a church in full-blown revival? Full-blown revival where the, the Spirit of God is being manifest and the lost can't help but come to the altar and say, I want to give my life to Jesus? Wouldn't it look like a church that's planting more churches instead of just having a campus in Kearney and in North Platte? There would be other New Life campuses and other communities sharing the same good news with others. And then lastly, wouldn't it look like a church that's highly contagious, influencing other churches, helping them become the very same kind of healthy church in that manner? Wouldn't it look like that? Of course it would. Of course it would. So how important is resilient courage? It's a game changer. And today I want to bring to you an encouraging message to try to encourage you, inspire you to be full of resilient courage because that's the mission that Jesus wants to instill inside of his church. Jesus wants his church to walk with a resilient faith and he wants that church to have resilient courage to trust him for the impossible to trust him when everyone else says it can't happen, to trust him when, you know, the doctors say there is no healing, to trust him when the financial advisor says there's no more money, to trust him when all of the the indicators are pointing you're a failure, to trust him and rise up and be the man or woman that God's called us to be. That's the church that Jesus created. And in the early church, the early church, right after the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, They modeled this kind of resilient courage for us. Today, I'm going to take you to an encounter of resilient courage found in Acts chapter 4. All right, I'm going to tell you the story, all right, but I'm going to have to take you back a moment before we can even, like, really begin it. But in Acts chapter 4, in essence, you've got this encounter where Peter and John, Peter and John, they heal this guy, 
and they have to face some amazing circumstances where their, their resolve is going to have to be built on resilient courage. And you're going to see how this all comes together. But before I can really take you into that story, and you'll be able to see the resilient courage at work, the same resilient courage that the power of the Holy Spirit can put inside of your life, we got to jump back a moment because there's a key component of this story that happens in John chapter 18. A little while before this, maybe months before Acts chapter 4, there's this moment that takes place for Jesus. Jesus is arrested in the garden, and he's being taken for trial, and then he's going to end up on the cross, and he's going to give his life. Here's what happens. It says, Then the detachment of soldiers, with its commander and the Jewish officers, arrested Jesus. They bound him, and they brought him first to Annas. That's the name. Say Annas. They brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of, anybody know this guy? Caiaphas. Way to go, Bible scholars. Good job. Who was, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, watch this next line, the high priest that year. So I got these two individuals. I got Annas, who's the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who's operating as the high priest. He's the guy in charge. These are the guys that have Jesus arrested. These are the guys that take Jesus and they start beating him and they start third-degreeing him. It's at this house. They brought him to the house of Annas. You've got to remember Annas and Caiaphas or Acts chapter 4 is not going to make any sense. So here's these two guys that they think that they are the leaders of all leaders, of all the religious leaders. They call the shots, right? They say it, everybody else does it. And they say that Jesus is a criminal. They have him arrested and brought to Annas' house. There, third degree, and beat him. Guess who else is at Anna's house that night? Peter. Peter's also in chapter 4. Peter's there, and in fact, it's at the house of Annas that Peter denies even knowing Jesus three times. So if you've ever heard that story before, Jesus predicted it. It happened at that house that night while Jesus is being arrested. While Jesus is in a room being beaten... Peter is denying Christ out by a fire pit to a girl. And it's at that scenario that you've got you to know that scenario for Acts chapter 4 to really kind of come together. So then let's jump, right? We'll jump to Acts chapter 2 before we get there. Acts chapter 2, the disciples and the believers, they're following the command of Jesus. What Jesus basically said before he ascends into heaven, he tells his disciples, I want you to go to the upper room in Jerusalem. I want you to pray and I want you to wait because I'm going to send a power on you that you know nothing of right now, but it's going to be a resilient power. It's going to be the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to have resilient courage to do my work that I'm commanding you to do, which is go be a witness to all the world of, what, of who I am and what I've done in your life. So in Acts chapter 2, that's exactly what happens. Tongues of fire, it says, literally rest upon the disciples. They begin to speak in unknown languages. The power of the Holy Spirit fills them. They're speaking in languages they don't know. But the streets of Jerusalem are full of people from all of the lands around. And they're walking the streets and they're hearing through the window people proclaiming Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Right? Jesus is risen. They're hearing this manifestation of the work of the Holy Spirit through the disciples speaking in unknown languages while people are walking the streets hearing it in their language. It's a powerful day. So powerful that the people want to know what in the world's going on in that room. So the disciples come down. Peter, Peter, who just a little while before that was at Anna's house denying knowing Jesus, 
He's now full of the Holy Spirit. He gets up and speaks in front of thousands. And the Bible says that 3,000 people that day decide, I'm going to make Jesus my Lord and my leader. And they follow him. Powerful. Flip the page. Acts chapter 3 happens. This will lead us right to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, right? They are walking on the street of Jerusalem, headed to the synagogue for a moment of prayer. And as they're walking to the synagogue, they pass through the same similar temple gate where a man has been there begging for 40 years. 40 years from birth. So let's just say the man's 40 years old because the Bible tells us he's been paralyzed for 40 years. So from birth, he's been paralyzed. Every single day, his family carries him out there, sits him down, gives him the little tin cup, and says, beg, beg so that we can eat today. I guarantee you the family's manipulating him. The family's using him. The family has him out there as a spot, you know, to try to hit the hearts of people that they'll drop some coins in. And every day they take him out and every day they pick him up and they bring him back. Every single day, Monday through Friday, Saturday and Sunday included. That man's out there and he's begging, shaking his cup. Peter and John have walked by this guy many times, many times, like most have. Sometimes people would walk by and they'd be on the far side of the gate because they brought nothing. And they had to look this man in the eye every single day. But this day, Peter and John, so full of courageous faith, that they decide, you know what, let's try something different than what we've done before. And so they walk up to the man and Peter says to the man, hey, look, sir, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you. And then he stops and he looks him right in the eye. And he kind of, he probably points his finger and he says, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man, while he's sitting there for 40 years, having no muscle, having no, no ligament put together so that he can walk, paralyzed. You can imagine what his legs look like. They look like toothpicks all the way down to the ankle. All of a sudden, muscle grows on the legs and he stands up for the very first time after 40 years and he begins to walk. Can you imagine that? He begins to walk. Can you imagine the commotion that began to happen that day at that very moment? Can you imagine the faith inside of Peter and John? I guarantee they weren't like, told you so. <laughs> guarantee they were like, what? This is awesome. They're high-fiving. That guy, you know, he's just learning how to walk. So it's probably the very first chest bump that's ever happened in history. Because he's like up to Peter. He's like, boom, like off of Peter, onto John, onto others. And they're just kind of helping him. He gets his legs underneath him. He starts doing a little bit of a victory dance, right? You can almost imagine it. People are gathering all around. So many people gathered that the Bible says Peter now has to preach his second spontaneous message without any notes. He speaks the second spontaneous message, and the Bible says that now there's 5,000-plus people that have decided to join the church. They had 3,000. That means 2,000-some people gave their life to Jesus, all because this man who had been crippled for 40 years is now healed. Well, that doesn't go unnoticed by the religious leaders. Oh, they're standing on the sidelines, and they're waiting for that opportune moment and before Peter and John can get their way into the synagogue to finish their prayer, they snatch them and they arrest them that night. And they hold them for trial the next day. And that's where we find Acts chapter 4. So Acts chapter 4, verses will be on the screen for you. Acts chapter 4, verse 5. Here's where we pick up the story. It says that the next day, 
the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Who was there? Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were who? Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high, the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question him, right? By what power or what name did you do this? So just picture it. Here's Peter and John. They just healed this guy, and they get taken to prison for it. Let me tell you what two dudes do in moments like that. Two guys are in prison not worrying about tomorrow. Two guys are in prison like, <laughs> yeah, we did it. We showed them, right? Like tomorrow we'll just walk free out of this place. I mean, they're in there celebrating. They're not thinking about what happens tomorrow. It's not what two guys do. After a big victory like that, like we showed it to the man. Like that's not what we do, right? We don't sit in there worrying now. We sit in there, we're like, yeah, that was awesome. That was awesome. The next day, though, they're standing in a room waiting for the trial. In walks a few people. First guy that walks in is the guy who had been crippled. He's standing there next to him now. Now they're like, this is a shoe-in, like we're out of here. Then the next two guys that walk in is Annas and Peter instantly flushes. I know that guy. Can you imagine the memories that run through his mind? as he goes back to denying Christ. Can you imagine those? I mean, let's just be human here for a second. Imagine that, right? Like he goes back to that moment, and he's like, man, I was at his house that I denied Jesus. And then at the same time, there's this potential rage that wells up with inside of their hearts when they go, there's Annas and Caiaphas. These are the guys who killed Jesus. Man, if I just jump over this banister and get a hold of their neck, and I'm going to... Right? You follow me? I mean, you don't have to be a, of the male gender to want to do that. Either of us have the ability to do that. That's the emotion that's going on. And here they stand before them having to give an account. So guess what they do? They look them in the eye and they say this to them. Yeah, I'll tell you how the story went down. We spoke to the guy and we said in the name of, listen to this one, Honest and Caiaphas, Jesus. And he rose up and he walked. Can you imagine what happened when Annas and Caiaphas heard the name Jesus? Imagine their emotion for a moment. Imagine what went through their mind. They're like, oh my word, I thought we killed that guy. I thought he was gone. I thought this was over. And now here these two dudes are standing in front of us. And they're letting the whole town know that in the name of Jesus, this criminal, this guy we put on a criminal's cross, it's in his name that people are being healed? They're freaking out too. There's a lot of tension in this room. Whew. So like relax for a minute. There's a lot going on. A lot happening here. But this is what happens. This is a profound statement. You guys know what a first impression is? Right? You either make a good first impression or you don't, right? Because you only get how many times to make a first impression? Okay, once. All right, I'm glad you're with me today. Here's, here's what happens. Here's the first impression that, that Peter and John leave on these men, Annas and Caiaphas included. Just a few verses into this story, that when they saw the courage, the courage, when they saw the resilient courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had what? It's not just that these men had been 
the disciples of Jesus. Here's the X factor to the whole thing, is that these men had actually been with Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about the, the years that Jesus walked on this earth and did his ministry. I'm talking about the moment after the death, after the resurrection. I'm talking about the 40 days where Jesus walked this earth and met with his disciples at multiple different moments. I'm talking about the fact that these men had seen the risen Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Where does resilient courage come from? It's not about reading the stories of a historical fact of a man who walked the earth and preached and did miraculous things. It's about meeting with Jesus. And the same risen Jesus that Peter and John met with is the same risen Jesus that we're preaching today. It's the same risen Jesus that you have the ability to interact with today. It's the same resilient Jesus that has the ability to fill you with resilient courage today. Amen? Amen. So these religious leaders, they didn't know what to do with these guys. They had no clue. They were, they were dumbfounded. They were like, man, we're, we're, I know we killed Jesus, but what do we do with these guys? They healed this guy. We all know about this guy. He sat out there. In fact, the religious leaders are going, we've passed that guy for years and haven't given him money. Right? We've passed that guy for years and never prayed for him. Why didn't we pray for him? Right? And they're going, now the whole town knows about it. There's, what can we do? We can't go put these two jokers on a cross now. And so they decide, here's what we're going to do. We're going to threaten them. So here's how they threaten them a few verses later. It says, then they called them in again, and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. That was, that was important to them. But Peter and John replied, hey, look, judge, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight for us to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Peter and John, they were not terrified. These are not two scared dudes standing in front of judges that have the ability to put them on a cross. That's not who they are. In fact, if you can just rephrase the words that they spoke to them and put it into modern-day language, they basically looked back at Annas and Caiaphas and said this, no, no, we're going to keep preaching in the name of Jesus. You know why? Because the evidence is out there. Like, we've seen him. We've been with him, and we've seen his work. We know he healed the guy. He's standing right here next to us. No, we're not going to stop preaching in the name of Jesus, and we're not going to stop healing in the name of Jesus. Let me tell you what we're going to do. It's like we're the ones in charge now. Let me tell you what we're going to do, right? We're going to tell more and more people about Jesus until this whole city erupts in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That was the kind of courage that filled their hearts that day. And the religious leaders, their hands were bound. They had no other choice but to let Peter and John go. So where do you think Peter and John went? I think they went down to the local pub and high-fived each other and celebrated and were like, man, what a victory. No. The Bible tells us exactly what they did. They ran back to the believers. And behind closed doors, after this incredible victory... Behind closed doors, they said to the believers, we need you to pray for us. We, in fact, we all need to pray. And here's one of the things that we need. We need greater courage and greater boldness. That's what they prayed. Here's, here's what happened. Here's some of the last words of that prayer. It says, now, Lord, consider the threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great what? Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now look what happened after the prayer. 
after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. An earthquake took place. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God. How? Boldly. Boldly. A resilient courage met them in that room that day. Instead of praying for safety and protection, they prayed for more courage and for more, more boldness. They prayed for the miraculous to take place on the streets, just like the guy who had been paralyzed for 40 years. They prayed for more of it. They were like, come on, let's, let's stir this thing up. Let's get the name of Jesus out there. And as they prayed, when they got done and they said amen, what miraculous manifestation happened in that room? An earthquake happened. You know, the last earthquake recorded in the Bible before this moment happened when Jesus died on the cross. When Jesus dies on the cross, the earth, it shook. It shook. What happens here? The earth, it shakes again. Here's, what I, here's how I see it. I see it like this. God pounding his fist on a table, but not out of anger, out of joy, going, boom, heaven, attention, look, look at my people. My people, man, they're full of boldness. They're full of courage, and they're asking me for more of it. This church is alive. And the earth shook. The earth shook. How cool is that? How cool would it be, man, to pray here at New Life Church and get done, and the earth shakes? I mean, I don't want the walls to fall down. Don't get me wrong. We're not going for that kind of earthquake. A couple signs off, a couple some dust in the air. Just let, wake us up. Let us know we're alive. It's like God, man, he's doing a little victory dance himself. He's going, man, my church is alive. Let me just tell you a couple of things, church. Resilient courage allows the believer to take bold stands for God. Like the 23 people that were baptized today at New Life Church. Every venue and every service. That's what resilient courage does. Resilient courage allows you to share your story. Like those who shared their story in the Resilient book and those who have shared their story in the I Am Resilient series that we've been in right now. And our church is full of stories. Resilient courage will help you share that story with great faith. But one thing you need to know is that courage, courage rises up when you're a part of a mission. And the mission of Christianity is to love God with all of our heart and to love our neighbor as ourself. And you can ask God for courage to do that. At New Life, we phrase it a little differently. We say that we have a cause at New Life, and the cause is worth dying for. And the cause that we're worth, that's worth dying for is to see people find Jesus and lives changed. That's our cause. Like, I'll die for that cause, right? To see people find Jesus and lives changed. I want to see that happen over and over and over again. But, but look, you got to remember that you don't get called courageous for sitting on your couch doing nothing, You don't get called courageous for sitting on the bench and never getting in the game. You get called courageous when you face the unknown, when you take on the fears, and when you step out and you take on the obstacles, when you overcome your fears, that's when the word courageous gets used. And resilient courage is needed for us to accomplish this cause at New Life. But it's going to be difficult, and there's going to be a price to pay. You're going to feel at times like a fish swimming upstream. But know this, resilient courage empowers you, the believer, to take on the scary, to take on the intimidating, and to take on the unknown. So I want to challenge our entire church today. Rise up and ask God for resilient courage. Ask God to give you this resilient courage and give your marriage one more chance. Ask God for resilient courage to love again after being hurt or abused. 
Ask God for resilient courage to put God first in your finances or to be the first one to forgive in an argument or to share your testimony with others or to invite somebody to church with you or to pray for a coworker, or to confess your sin or even to wait patiently. To wait patiently even when you want to run away and you want to do something about a problem. Do you realize that courage isn't always picking up the sword first? Sometimes courage is waiting. Be still and know that I am God. Look at what Psalm says about it. It says, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. I don't know how you need to respond today. Some of you, it's waiting. Others of you, it's picking the sword up and running in. Others of you, it's just, you know, I'm going to be bold with my faith. But I got a friend, his name's Danny Major. He attends our Kearney campus. He knows what it's like to face real-life difficult situations and have to have a resilient courage to overcome them. I want you to sit back for a moment. I want you to listen for resilient courage as you hear Danny's testimony. My wife and I, we were in Colorado, Denver, and we were debating, contemplating where we wanted to move. Um, We thought about Omaha, we thought about Portland, and we thought about Oklahoma where my mom and brother was. Um, And she came up to me about three or four months later and she said, uh, baby, do you mind uh, if we just go home? I said, to your hometown? And she says, yes. I said, well, wherever you feel comfortable, I'm with you. And um, I said, uh, well, when we get there, uh, let's look for a church together. We searched a few areas, a few churches here in the town, and got acquainted with a few of the pastors. So I went to, to New Life, and she was working Sunday. And I said, honey, have you ever been to New Life? And she says, no. She came to New Life with me. She says, I love the music. (laughs) So we uh, ended up uh, coming to New Life, uh, going to New Life, and been there ever since. Well, in Kearney, we had a wonderful, magnificent, gorgeous pregnancy. We had great doctors around us. We loved the Lord, and we loved each other. Delivery with Malachi, he's being... Born, Jessica brings him out of the canal, and long story short, we you, they give you the proper counsel. Uh, they was counseling us about uh, um, postpartum depression. We didn't think a whole lot of it, you know. Probably about a month after Malachi was born, I saw signs of uh, weariness and attitudinal change. We didn't know where it was coming from, and she didn't want me to share it. So we found uh, a doctor in Lincoln, and yes, she was actually going through postpartum depression. Gave her a few medications, and uh, we headed to the second meeting. Uh, The doctor said, how do you feel? She says, I'm feeling something, but I don't know. Never forget the words. Doctor says, okay, let's up the dosage here and let's change the regimen of the medication. Instead of taking it in the morning, let's take it at night. And she took the first time, a Tuesday night. And she didn't sleep all night, all night. 
Well, she did it that night, and the next morning, she woke up just screaming and hollering. And she says, I don't know what, I don't know, and she just wasn't herself. So I says, well, let me hold on to the baby, just relax, I'm rocking him on the couch. So she ran back to the bedroom and then ran to the kitchen, put Malachi down, and I ran, and just before I turned the corner, I heard the I heard that. And when I turned the corner, instantly I saw blood, and I knew it wasn't good. The minute I turned that corner, and I grabbed her hands, I went out of myself. My mind, my will, and emotion was gone, gone, nothing. And I was headed towards the balcony because my head was spinning, and I was going to jump off the balcony. That's my first thought, jump off the balcony. I, I needed, I needed something. I was so busted and so wounded and so distraught. I didn't even think about Jesus. The pain was so great. Be still and know that I'm God. Be still, be still. I knew there, there was pain in this world. I didn't know this kind of pain existed. The first few trips to the church, she wasn't with me, and they were difficult, beyond difficult. The worst day in my life. The worst day of my life. It took something special, and his name is Jesus, to get me to where I needed to be. He said, you and Malachi are going to be all right. I'm very grateful. My gratitude towards the Lord, my love towards the Lord. I shouldn't have been here. With everything that was going on, my heart was palpitating. My mind was spinning. Satan looks for those cracks. He is a liar. Asking the question, what does my relationship, what is it like and what does it mean to me today? It's everything. It's everything. My relationship with Christ is everything. It's verses like this that Danny really heard God speaking to him. In Isaiah 41.10, don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged, for I'm your God. I'll strengthen you, and I'll help you. I'll hold you up with my victorious right hand. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Today, we all need a dose of resilient courage. Just like the early church did to accomplish its its mission, we are carrying on the same mission. And we're living in a world where you don't even feel free to talk about Jesus in your workplace. What do you need? Resilient courage. That's what you need. Live in a world where it's so politically correct that you can't even bring up the good news of Jesus Christ and the testimony that's happened in you because you're afraid you're going to offend somebody? What do you need? Resilient courage, just like Peter and John had. It's not time to back down. It's time to step up, church. It's not time to shrink back. It's time to take a surge forward. It's not time to put Jesus on the back burner and wait for someone to ask. It's time to put Jesus on the front edge and start proclaiming the good news of who he is. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And in the end, Jesus wins. So my challenge to you is this. Let's be like the early church. What did they do in Acts chapter 4? They went to a moment of prayer. 
And they said, what do we need more than anything? We need the courage that can only come through the Holy Spirit, and we need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Church, let's come back to that same moment as we take this one song of response time together. Let's hunger and seek after Jesus and say, Lord, fill us with resilient courage so that we can accomplish your mission on this earth so that the world will know that Jesus is alive. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. So, Lord, today... We come to you like our brothers and sisters did in Acts chapter 4, and we pray. Lord, we are thankful. We're thankful for the souls that are being saved and people that are, you know, giving their life to you at New Life Church. We're thankful, God, for the miraculous that's taking place in our church. We're, We're thankful for the water baptisms and people that are boldly, with courage, resilient courage, proclaiming their faith in you. But Lord, we don't want to just stay right there in that moment. We're coming back to you again. We're saying, Lord, we need greater courage to face the greater challenges that are going to come before us. Lord, it's our day, and it's our moment on this earth. This is our generation. This is our time. Lord, we want to seize the moment. We want to leave, leave this church better than we found it. We want to leave the kingdom. On a day we take our last breath, we want to leave the kingdom more full because of our testimony than it would have been otherwise. So, Lord, we choose to lift up the name of Jesus at this church. We choose to lift your name up. Would you draw this church to yourself? Would you work in a miraculous, powerful way today? And would you stir inside of our hearts a resilient courage to accomplish your mission on this earth while we still have breath? So, Lord, today we lift your name up. We celebrate the name of Jesus in this church, and we humble ourselves before you. We come to you saying, Lord, fill us with every good and perfect thing so that your mission, your cause can be completed. In Jesus' name, amen.